Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It is opposition preview time for a huge game this Sunday as title-chasing Arsenal come up north for one of their biggest tests. They take on Newcastle United, of course, at St James's Park on Sunday. And I'm here with Tom Canton. Tom is an Arsenal writer for Football London and is the owner and host for the Gunner Talk TV as well. So it's a big, big welcome to you, Tom. It, it, it must have been in a, a really incredible season for so many different reasons, Tom. But how are you feeling going into this game against Newcastle on Sunday? Yeah, uh, I mean, the emotion of the season in comparison to this individual game, I think, is, is slightly different. Um, I think there isn't a level of trepidation from Arsenal uh, going into this fixture. You think back to last season and what was on the line for Arsenal when they went to St. James's Park. You know, if they'd have won that game, they probably would have been in Champions League for this season um, and put on one of the worst performances of the season as Newcastle utterly controlled the game and, and took the game away from Arsenal and made Spurs fans very happy, which you know, no one really wants to do. So I don't know why you guys decided to do that. Um, but yeah, now in terms of, of this season, you know, whilst again, there is, as I say, some trepidation going into this fixture, Arsenal will feel a lot more confident, you know, the players that are available, the additions to the team at this point. Um, and kind of just the simplicity that Arsenal know, they just got to win the last few games and to give themselves the best possible chance at a title. If they drop points in any of them, I think that's probably it in regarding a, a title challenge from them as Man City just looks so good. But it's, yeah, it's relatively simple for Arsenal in, in that sense anyway. It, it certainly is. Arsenal, 34 games, 78 points. The most they can get is 90, of course. Very quick maths for myself. And it is, it's, it's going to be very, very close between yourselves and Manchester City, who, of course, play beforehand they play on the Saturday afternoon against Leeds United, where unless a Sam Allardyce classic comes out, you're probably mm. going to be four points behind Manchester City and you play the same amount of games. You're quite right, any mistake, and I think that is pretty much game over for, for Arsenal. Is this the toughest test or one of the toughest tests? I think if you take away Manchester City away, this seems to be the toughest test for a lot of a lot of teams. Only Liverpool have beaten Newcastle at St James's Park this season. You mentioned Spurs before. I'll gladly tell you Spurs lost 6-1 <laughs> to Newcastle a few weeks ago, which I'm sure you would have been absolutely delighted to hear. But is this the toughest test for Arsenal right now? Does this Do you have to prove your title worthy by going up to Newcastle and winning? Yeah, I think this is obviously the toughest test that Arsenal have got remaining. You've got Forest, Brighton at home, who are obviously a very good side as well. Um, but it's a home game. You would expect Arsenal to still hopefully win that one. Forest away, as I say, and then Wolves on the last day. So I think comfortably the Newcastle game is, is the trickiest fixture of, of the bunch. If if Arsenal can can win that, I think it, it will obviously be a big boost to the Gunners, but I think fans will see some frustration as well because we've dropped points against West Ham away. We've dropped points against Southampton at home. And we'll look back at those games and think, well, if we're winning you know, against Chelsea and we're beating Newcastle away and we've got good results against other big teams this season... Why have we thrown it away in those those off games that you have to win? I mean, Liverpool fans, if you speak to them, will tell you that, you know, you can get 90 plus points. You can get as high as 98 odd points and still not win the league against this Man City side. You can't afford to make any mistakes. So, yeah, I think if, if Arsenal were to win this game, whilst obviously it would be a great boost and, you know, certainly Arsenal will feel that's probably the, the toughest test of these last four games sorted. It, it's going to cause some frustration, I think, still amongst fans that we kind of threw it away in some of those what would be, you know, still respectfully, but what you would describe as easier fixtures. Do Arsenal fans still believe, do you still believe, Tom, that Arsenal can win the title? Um, 
I'm, you know, I'm one of the most optimistic people you'll find, to be honest. But I think I have to be realistic and say, look, my my expectation is that we will finish second this season. Um, of course, it's still mathematically possible, but having to rely on not only yourself to to basically be perfect in these last four games, which is something that Arsenal couldn't manage last season to get into the Champions League, whilst hoping that the best team arguably in the world drops points in a period of the season where they are the most experienced side of closing out a title, of going as perfect as they possibly can with fixtures that you would look at and say, well, the, the toughest of the bunch is probably Brighton away. That's their toughest one. So it's difficult to see them dropping any points anywhere. So whilst I love being optimistic about things, I have to be realistic and and realise that second place is probably beckoning at this point. Is it a successful season if Arsenal don't win the league? You're saying that you would kind of expect Arsenal to finish second mm. with everything that's happened and Arsenal pretty much being top from day one. It's only really just in the last couple of days that Manchester City, we're kind of seeing Manchester City top of the Premier League table at this moment in time. Would it still be classed as a successful season if Arsenal don't win the title under the circumstances? For me, it is. It depends on who you ask. Uh, some Arsenal fans will tell you that, no, we've not won anything this season, so it's it's not successful. And I have empathy for that perspective. I respect that perspective. I don't agree with it. I think that from an Arsenal point of view, progression is always success from where we've come from, where we want to go. If Arsenal are moving forwards as a club, of which this season we have taken a huge step forwards competitively in the Premier League, it has to be viewed as success. You know, we've made some good signings. We'll be able to make even more good signings in the summer with Champions League status as well. And we've, of course, potentially the promise of saying, look, we're a side capable of competing not only for the Premier League, but we're looking to go deep in the Champions League as well next season. We're a very attractive prospect for players now. And I think all those factors combined probably mean that we were in a great position in that sense. But yeah, it's successful for me whenever Arsenal progress and take that step forwards. I think that to, to ask of Arsenal that they're, you know, almost entitled to a trophy every season is is wrong. No team is is entitled. You know, Man City are probably the only team in England that go into a season expecting a, a trophy of some kind. I think every other side has to be wary of the fact that the existence of Man City makes that very, very difficult. And Arsenal this season obviously went in with the target of qualifying for the Champions League and getting back into that tournament and would hope to have tried uh, picked up some silverware. That's not happened yet. Maybe we still don't know if the, the league will happen, but it seems unlikely. But you, I can't think... I mean, if you're looking from the outside in, I think you struggle with any rival fan looking at the context of Arsenal and going... They've had a great season. You can't not say Arsenal have had a great season. And I think in that case, it is successful. I suppose when you look at the fact that Arsenal had a difficult last few games, I look at Liverpool and Anfield's arguably one of the toughest games in any mm. season. But you've mentioned the Southampton game. You've mentioned the West Ham game. Obviously, Manchester City is Manchester City. The fact that Arsenal have only won one of the last five, it's almost the worst time to only win one of your last five. But did you see something against Chelsea, Tom, where you sort of saw the old Arsenal, if you like, from pretty much August to April, where you go, yeah, this is the Arsenal that we know and love. And especially first half, Martin Erdogan, Martin Erdogan was certainly pulling the strings. Is he Arsenal's key man at this moment in time? Is he the man in form that Newcastle have to look out for? The problem Newcastle have is that it's not just Erdegaard. You know, you've got Saka, you've got Martinelli or Trossard, no matter who plays. Either of them are very capable. Gabriel Jesus has returned from injury and, and scored goals for fun since that return. Got himself up to 10 Premier League goals as well this season, five assists too. Um, and you're looking at those front four and thinking they've all got 80 plus goal contributions combined, which is one of the big reasons why Arsenal are where they are. So that's that's what 
Newcastle should focus on in terms of the threat. The weakness comes in Arsenal's defence, and we'll probably talk about that. But yeah, I look at the games that we've played in the last five fixtures and I go, actually, I've seen the old Arsenal in those games. Going 2-0 up at Anfield showed what Arsenal were capable of. Going 2-0 up at West Ham showed what Arsenal were capable of. When Arsenal came back against Southampton to 3-3 and had eight minutes to, to kind of nick it and they just couldn't quite do it. You could see the Arsenal that have been challenging for a title all season in those fixtures, but it, it's just not been spread enough across the whole game. It's been seen in kind of shorter periods or 30-minute bursts. But Chelsea, it's a difficult game to analyse because they are terrible. Chelsea are the worst team in the league, I think, right now. You know, I'd bank on Southampton to, to get a result against them. I think Southampton have got a result against Chelsea this season already. So I look at that side and think defensively, when you compare that to Newcastle, who have the best defensive record in the league, it's a completely different thing that Arsenal are going to have to face. So it's a difficult game to analyse. So I can only analyse Arsenal in terms of what they did and what they showed was that they were capable of producing some brilliant football. Odegaard was clinical in the right moments. They dominated chances, but they were still vulnerable at back. And that's how Chelsea got in behind Zinchenko. And I imagine that's probably an area that Newcastle as well will look to try and exploit. I hope they do. <laughs> From a Newcastle <laughs> point of view anyway. But you've mentioned those four players. Who's going to get the nod on the on the wings, if you like? Because I think Gabriel Jesus is probably one of the first names on the team sheet for Arsenal. But it's two from three, Saka, Martinelli and Trossard. I think Saka's on, I was going to say, nearly a shoo-in. Is it between Martinelli and Trossard? Tom, and who would you like to see uh, start at St. James's Park on Sunday? Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think if you ask a lot of Arsenal fans, though, they're looking at, you know, Trossard can replace any of that front four. He can play centre-forward, he can play in place of Saka, he can play in place of Odegaard, he can play in place of Martinelli. We've won, uh, the last eight times Trossard has started, we've won all of those eight games. And Trossard didn't start any of the four games that we dropped points in. And, you know, you look at that and you go, well, surely you have to fit Trossard in. But at the same time, you're then going, well, who on earth are you going to drop for him? For me, in games at home, I would have liked to have seen Xhaka actually drop for Trossard and gone with the front five in a similar way to how Bernardo Silva starts in the left eight role with De Bruyne for Man City. At Newcastle, I think that would be a bit naive defensively to do that. And I think that Arsenal need that security in midfield with Xhaka and with Jorginho, who I expect will probably start again after he was good against Chelsea over Partey, um, who's had a really nightmare over the last couple of games before he was taken out for Jorginho. I think... I still think that Trossard probably won't start and I think Martinelli will come back in. And if Arsenal drop points, there's another stat on that sheet of saying that without uh, Trossard starting, we're dropping points. It's He has to somehow find a way of getting him in and getting him in a mean, meaningful impact. If that's subbing him on at half-time to get him a whole half, great. But I think just throwing him on for the last 20 minutes is not good enough for a player of Trossard's calibre and he needs to be getting as many minutes as possible. But it's it's such a tough scenario it's a good problem to have but it's it's a tricky one to try and solve well you've got Martinelli on 15 goals this season you've got Saka on yeah. 13 Premier League Premier League goals this season Hazus has missed three months and scored 10 Premier League goals this season so mm. it, it's it's certainly going to be difficult to take one of those players out of the, out of the team right now but you've talked about the, the defense we're recording where Mikel Arteta hasn't confirmed what Gabriel's status is in terms of if he's going to be making the triple up to the northeast but it was interesting to see that Oh, Mikel Arteta just ref not refused to take him off, but it was kind of like, we'll just keep him going until Gabriel decides that he wants to come off, if you like. It was very bizarre. Arsenal are 3 1, quite comfortable, let's be honest, and he still didn't take him off. I know you, you may know more than me at this moment in time, Tom. Do you expect Gabriel to be involved 
at St James's Park, or do you maybe expect Rob Holden to come in and start the game? Which I think, if you're Alexander Rees at Callum Wilson, you're looking at upset a little bit. Yeah, I, I am expecting Gabriel to to play this game. Um, the injury it was kind of made out after the game to us that it wasn't wildly serious. Um, it was actually more of an ankle issue than a knee issue, as some people speculated. He collided with Ramsdale when Madueke scored, and it was apparently more of an ankle issue. He did media after the game. You don't tend to see the injured players do media, you know, after games. Um, they usually straight into treatment and, you know, avoid speaking after fixtures. But he did both French and Brazilian media uh, after the game. So that's a fairly good sign that it's not meant to be too serious. But, you know, we are recording this literally about an hour and 45 minutes, hour and 15 minutes before Mikel Arteta undergoes his press conference. So uh, we'll hear from him. He's usually pretty kind of, uh, coy about revealing anything to do with uh, injuries so he may not even tell us he may say that they're going to assess him ahead of the game and we won't hear any more but I would be surprised if he's not thrown in for this one yeah especially with William Saliba who again we don't mm. expect to be involved against Newcastle he might not even play again this season with some reports uh, that we've heard especially the fact that the, the Manchester City game was coming you thought well maybe he might be getting rested to be fit for that but that doesn't seem that wasn't the case and it doesn't seem to be the case this weekend against Newcastle but is it an issue if Gabriel's not involved because obviously Rob Holden you know he's done he's, he's been a loyal servant for Arsenal but he's just not the same calibre as Saliba and and Gabriel if, if if Gabriel isn't we have to look at both sides as if he isn't involved how much of an advantage is that for Newcastle? Oh, massive. You know, Gabriel has been, for me, our best defender this season. Everyone's talked about Saliba, you know, because he's he's very kind of eye-catching and he's very technically good and he stands out for some of the things that he does. But across the whole of the season, with Saliba missing for a significant part of it as well, I think Gabriel has to go down as Arsenal's best defender for this campaign. You know, Ben White's had a really good season as well. And Zinchenko's had offensively a very good season. Defensively, you know, there are question marks still. But Gabriel has has really come to the fore as a player that I think Arsenal could depend upon. And if he's out, then you're playing Kivior and, and holding together in that, in that back two, which is, you know, such a drop from, from Saliba and Gabriel. No disrespect to specifically Kivior, but holding, we know what he's capable of. We know what limitations he has. And it is a significant drop down. And that has been evident in the games that we've dropped points and that he's started. So hopefully Gabriel's fit and Kivior again can start with him. Kivior wasn't necessarily really tested against Chelsea on that side. Aubameyang was kind of sticking with him. We did a whole scout report on him during the game when we were at the Emirates, kind of focusing on what he was going to produce. And Aubameyang stuck with him rather than Gabriel because they clearly identified that he's the weaker player. But Aubameyang had a terrible game and wasn't really able to test him or get any service. So when he was called upon, there were moments in the air where he was a little bit suspect, mistimed headers and, and mistimed passes. But actually, overall, I gave him a 7 out of 10. And I thought that was a fairly representative kind of rating for his display passing wise a lot better than holding technically a lot better than holding so Arsenal build up wise will be able to be more effective I think with Kivior in but again it, as you say it will come down to whether Gabriel is available or not and if he's not then yeah it's a huge huge boost for Newcastle thank you very much for listening to the episode so far Andrew Muscovy I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th that's a Thursday night We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror's Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. 
it is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 25th. Well, Arsenal have been fantastic away from home this season. Nine Premier League away clean sheets. That's more than any team. That's actually nearly double than any other Premier League team this season. That just shows how brilliant Arsenal have been at the back under Mikel Arteta. And I want to talk about Mikel Arteta because very different contrast in type of the managers because Arteta very emotional on the touchline. You know, he, he, he almost wants to be on the pitch, if you like. He wants to be the 12th man yeah. that can help he Arsenal. He pretty much is times. <laughs> yes, he pretty much is. Anyhow, he's more reserved and he takes everything in his own stride. And we saw that at the Emirates uh, just after the new year, where Arsenal and Newcastle drew nil-nil. And it was, it was a, let's just say, there was a heated discussion between the two after Arsenal were claiming for a penalty in the last minute. Uh, it wasn't given. How do you think Mikel Arteta is feeling at this moment in time, Tom? Because the title was in his own hands before the last national break. I think there was an maybe an eight-point gap or a nine-point gap. I'm not 100% sure what it was, but it, do, you think, do you think he's feeling it right now or do you think he's just kind of re-evaluated it from that Man City game going, well, look, it's not in our own hands anymore. We're up against this Manchester City side who are absolutely incredible, if not the best team on the planet, as you've mentioned. How do you think he goes into these last four games? Uh, I think he is disappointed. Uh, I was in the press conference before the Chelsea game and that was obviously the first one we'd had after the, the Man City post-match presser and he, he still seems pretty blunt. And I mean, He always is a little bit cold in press conferences and things like that, but there was a, a tinge of frustration and regret, I think, about what had happened to, to them and he was asked if he could change anything from the City game, what would it be? And he just said, win. Because like, you know, so, it seems such an obvious answer to the question, because it is, but I think that it, his emotion during games sometimes sure can count against him. I think his in-game management is something that is the biggest area of development that he has. Uh, I and others have been very critical of some of the substitutions that he makes in games. He can be more proactive. He can change the structure more than he does, and he doesn't necessarily do that. He's very loyal to his players, a bit akin to what Arsene Wenger used to be with players, wouldn't take them off even though they were having bad games. And that sometimes worked in his favour. You know, Martin Odegaard against Southampton wasn't having the best game. Pops up at the end with this, our second goal in the 88th minute or whatever it was with an amazing strike from outside the box and it changes the game and eventually we go on to get a point. So sometimes it worked, but then he took Odegaard off against West Ham toward the end of the game and then Arsenal lacked all element of creativity because your big creators now come off. So, and against you know Liverpool, we should have brought on Tierney for Zinchenko earlier as, as, as cited by many people and, and bringing, going to a back three almost made it inevitable that Arsenal would eventually concede because we welcomed pressure on for Liverpool rather than taking advantage of when they took off a midfielder and we could have potentially overrun them in that middle third. So that part of his game is, I think, quite emotionally driven. He can make mistakes. Um, 
I, I thought he was fair to be a bit frustrated in the home game against Newcastle. Um, not necessarily for the penalty at the end of the game, but the element when Dan Byrne basically ripped Gabriel's sponsorship around the back of his neck in the box. You know, I think there was a bit... It's, 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 it's moments like that. And I think Arsenal this season have been very aggrieved with some refereeing choices. You know, the, the famous one being against Brentford when an offside was just forgotten to be checked. And it, that could cost us two points, you know, at the end of the season. If we do lose out on the title by a point, we're going to rightly cite that two points that was potentially dropped because of a refereeing error, one that's been apologised for. And it's not the first time that we've seen that. And Man United, we were wrongly ruled out for Martinelli's goal. We should have gone 1-0 up in that game. So it's it's difficult. And I don't like being the guy that, you know, is moaning about referees and moaning about decisions because I want Arsenal to take the game away from the referees and mean that they can win the games off their own back. But I think there's times this season where Arsenal and Arteta have been justified in their emotional frustrations at things that have gone on during fixtures that maybe haven't befallen our title rivals, say. Um, and I'm hoping that the game on Sunday between us and, and yourselves is going to be one that's going to be a great game of football and that isn't reliant upon the referee to intervene in any way to to take the spotlight from things. But it's something that I think we as football fans all are hoping improves in the next few years is the standard of officiating. You know, and maybe that will lead to less emotional scenes from managers on the sidelines because of it. But yeah, I'll tell you, it, that's part of his, it's just who he is. He's, he's very emotional. He, he lives and breathes football. And he's only recently retired from the game. So he's still got that element of wanting to kick the ball. So yeah, that, that certainly comes across. Yeah, we could do another podcast just on refereeing decisions and referees <laughs> yeah. in general, Tom. We just don't have the time for that right now. But. Mm. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk about Newcastle United. Eddie, Eddie Howe's just mm. done his pre-match press conference into this game and he's been very, very complimentary of Arsenal, saying they are one of the elite teams in Europe. And you can't disagree with that at all. In terms of injury news, uh, Alan St. Maximum should be in the squad, which is a big, big boost for Newcastle United. He won't start the game. I don't believe he'll start the game. He's only had one training session. So likely is, likely is if, he can get, if he can be unscathed from Friday's training session and Saturday's training session, he's going to be in the squad on Sunday. Same as Sean Longstaff, it seems as well. He hasn't trained yet, but he's expected to train today and tomorrow. So it looks like he will be involved. And he has been instrumental, Tom, to Sean Longstaff in particular. And the midfield has in, in, in general with, you know, you've got the former Arsenal man, Joe Willock, the linked Arsenal man in Bruno Guimaraes as well, who was heavily linked last year. He scored the winner, of course, if you well, I say the win, he scored the second goal in that 2-0 two, two win last season. Is it the midfield that you look at from the, an Arsenal perspective going that's where we have to try and win the game against this Newcastle team because their midfield is re it seems to be the biggest element of why Newcastle are doing so well. I know the defence have been extraordinary, but the midfield, there's just so many different elements and it just seems to work. Yeah, it does. Look, I think the biggest compliment you can give Eddie Howe is that, you know, everyone talks about the money associated with Newcastle and the signings they make, but it's players like Longstaff, you know, it's players like Joel Linton, uh, Almiron, you know, existing players that were there when he came that have just absolutely gone to a new level since Eddie Howe's come in. And that that is a testament to his man management and his coaching. Um, the smart signs that you've made as well on top of that combined, you know, the midfield, you see Joe Willock, you see Gimaraish and, and Longstaff as, as, as a three, but you can use other options there if you want to. Joel Linton can drop in. You know, it's, it's incredibly... Uh, it's in a way quite envious from a lot of clubs' perspectives and even from an Arsenal perspective with someone like Gimaraes, who, as you say, were Arsenal were very interested and had followed him since his time in Brazil um, and just for some reason didn't want to pull the trigger during that January window. I know that Newcastle are paying him a lot of money, of course, and Arsenal have been very 
touch and go about paying players certain levels of of, of wages. But it seems like that would, he would have been the perfect player to use that to take over from Granite Xhaka, basically, and upgrade that position for the future. And I said this on a show the other day that I was doing, that if Gimaraes was in the Arsenal midfield with with Partey or Jorginho and Odegaard, that midfield three, you look at and go, well, that's title-winning levels of, of quality. So, um, and that's not to discredit what Xhaka has done. He's been very good, but just that level above, you know, I look at Gimaraes for the future and his, his vision, his passing, his execution of what he wants to do is so up there with, with the top, top central midfielders in the league. So midfield's going to be key. I, I've said, though, a number of times, the way that Newcastle operate with their defensive stability and the security that it brings, it's going to be on the forwards for Arsenal to when they get the few opportunities during the game to take them. If Arsenal were clinical is the word, you know, if Arsenal were clinical, that's the only way they're going to win this game because I don't expect them to get the level of chances and the frequency of chances that we've seen them and get in, in recent fixtures and players like Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli, Saka have missed big opportunities in games this season where they could have potentially put games away from sides that have then come back. You know, think about Liverpool. We had other opportunities in that game against West Ham. We could have scored the penalty to make it 3-1 in that game and, and probably go on to win that relatively comfortably. And we didn't. So I think it's going to it's going to be in the two defensive thirds, which is a cliche in football that where it's won, but it will be, you know, if Isaac takes his chances, if Arsenal defend well, if Arsenal can take their chances, um, that that's where it's going to be. I think we often talk about the midfield battle being where games are won and lost, but actually I think both teams have got such good midfields that it will be down to who takes the opportunities on the day. And, you know, again, that's why I think Arsenal go into this game with a relative amount of trepidation because Newcastle's goal-scoring record is, is very good recently. Arsenal's defensive record is, is not so good recently. And I think that could be the difference maker on the Sunday. The bookies, it's, uh, I've given, are making Newcastle very, very slight favourites on Sunday, it's, which is mm. very, well, I, I say slightly surprising. I know Newcastle's home record has been mm. instrumental. I'm not that surprised, to be honest. I think that's, you know? that's probably fair. Yeah. It, 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 like, it, like, I was, the only reason why I say that is because I'm just, if you look at Arsenal's record at St. James's Park, they've won nine of the last 15 visits to St. James's Park, which is mm. incredible. Only losing the two. Um, which was actually Arsene Wenger's last game before he announced he was leaving, and then which was a two-one win for Newcastle, and then obviously that game last year, which I won't mention too much more, uh, Tom. But <laughs> in terms of Arsenal, they played twelve Premier League games on a Sunday. Now, I don't know if this will surprise you. You've not lost a game on a Sunday in the Premier League. You've won nine. You've drawn three. Wow. Is it unlucky number thirteen? That's 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 probably the the big the big thing because it's it's just written in the stars of the main game on Sky on Sunday for, for that particular um, impact to happen. But before we talk about predictions and what we think could happen, I want, I want to talk about the Champions League race. Now, Tottenham Hotspur aren't in it, which is, I'm sure you're absolutely delighted to hear. Um, at this moment, Newcastle third. And realistically, six points will be enough for Newcastle to claim Champions League. Some people are saying it's already done. You've got Manchester United who lost last night to Brighton in the... 127th minute of um, and that penalty you get from Alexis McAllister, but it was, it was fantastic to see. Do, do you expect Newcastle United to be playing Champions League football next season? Next season, if that's the, and if that's the case, Tom, does Eddie Howe deserve manager of the season regardless of what Arteta does, or does Arteta have to win the league to get manager of the season if Eddie Howe gets Newcastle into the top four? So on the Champions League, I do expect you to be in Champions League football next season. It's a brilliant achievement what you've done because I don't think it's... I don't look at Newcastle and go, oh, it's because they spent loads of money. That's why they're in the top five. It's like, no, they've appointed really well. They've made some really astute signings for, you know, not unreasonable amounts of money in the league. 
And it's not like, you know, the Man Cities and Chelsea's that went out and spent 100x million on players. Yes, you've invested a lot in someone like Isaac, for instance. Um, but he's kind of the one you look at as the sole big, big fee. Whereas you look at Gimaraish as a really good figure. Um, Pope, Byrne, you know, these players that have come in, even Willock at £25 million, you know, reasonable figures for Premier League level players coming in. So I think that it's an amazing achievement what Newcastle have done. And, it, and all credit goes to Eddie Howe. And that bleeds into that second question. For me, if Arsenal were to win the league, I think Arteta rightly would deserve manager of the season um, based upon taking a team from fifth, you know, adding those players in in the summer and then moving that up to a team that have beaten arguably probably the best sides. And I talk about Arsenal's invincibles a lot. But, you know, if there's a team that comes close to Arsenal's invincibles, it's this Manchester City iteration under Pep Guardiola as being the best ever Premier League side with Erling Haaland up top, you know, adding that to that mix is just, it's a cheat code basically is what it is, as often described. So yeah, I think Arteta would deserve it for won the league. If he doesn't win the league, I think there's two candidates for it. Um, I don't necessarily look at Pep as, as, the, as the guy, because I think I look at Erling Haaland as the guy that's kind of led Man City to where they are this year. Uh, and you look at his goals and, and the lack of goals elsewhere that's kind of detail that. Not that he's carried Pep in any way. Pep's obviously very much um, deserving of credit. But I just think that you look at Eddie Howe and you look at the obvious other candidate is Deserby at Brighton as the two candidates, I think, for um, manager of the season if Arsenal don't win the league. I'd probably give it to Eddie Howe based upon the work that I talked about, the individual coaching of players. With Brighton, Brighton, I often talk about as a team that have been fortunate in the position they are to spend a lot of money on lots of players and it's basically like the age of saying, if, if you throw enough, you know what, a wall, eventually it's going to stick. And I think they've signed a lot of players and a lot of them that don't get talked about haven't worked and they've gone, you know, then they've left in recent seasons. What they've been able to do is, is been very fortunate to find your Caicedos, your McAllisters, um, you know, players like Cisco now that's, that's coming through. Um, you know, they've sold well, well, Kukurea going, Trossard going, White going, you know. And that's not to downgrade what's been achieved there because it's still an amazing achievement. But I, the re that's one of the reasons why I look at Newcastle more so as an achievement because every signing pretty much that's been made astutely, smartly, with the relevant amount of, of analysis done before it has taken them to an even higher level than Brighton. And, you know, Newcastle two years ago, you know, when Eddie Howe took over, were in a relegation battle. You know, Brighton have kind of always been a, a side that have had the number of a few Premier League teams like Arsenal. Arsenal's record against Brighton in the last five years has been terrible, you know. So Newcastle to go from where they were to now and with the decisions that have been made by Eddie Howe in particular, I think it's more deserving towards him than Deserby for what has happened in a shorter space of time. Yeah, certainly. You can't disagree with any of those managers, let's be honest. I think whoever gets yeah. it, depending on this, how the season ends, I think will certainly be um, well-deserving of that award. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens in the last few games. But what will be fascinating is this Sunday. The big one, Sunday, 4.30. What do you think, Tom? What's your prediction going into the game? Um, I, You know, I'm really worried. My head says that I think Newcastle will probably win again 2-0. Um, my heart's saying 2-1 Arsenal, just because I'm forever the optimist in, in this world of sport and Arsenal. But... I just think Newcastle are so good. I think St. James's Park is such a difficult place to go to, probably behind the Etihad and Anfield only now uh, in terms of a place to go. So, yeah, I'm, 
I'll stick with my heart always and go two one Arsenal. But look, you've got a, a very, very, very good chance of winning, and I'm not surprised that you are down as a lot of bookies' favourites for the game. Well, like I say, it still surprises me considering I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pinching myself every time I see the Premier League table. We're still third in the table, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm still dreaming and in dreamland in general. But uh, I think, like you say, Tom, I think it'll be a very, very close game regardless of how the result goes. My prediction is 2-1 Newcastle. I think it'll be extremely tight, but I do think Alexander Izak will have an instrumental impact on this game. And I think if he does get the better of the Arsenal defence, I think he either gets an assist or a goal. And I think that's how well he's been playing and, you know, Spurs spent £60 million on Richarlison. We spent the same on Isaac. And that, it's just about spending your money wisely. That's how important uh, he could be to Newcastle this uh, season with maybe playing Champions League football next season. So it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens on Sunday. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you all things Newcastle United against Arsenal. We wish you all the best luck after Sunday, of course. And hopefully Thanks, there, is a, there is a big trophy coming to North London. Uh, at the at the end of May, let's let's hope all the best anyway from an uh, from an Arsenal perspective more than anything. But yeah, make sure you get all the Arsenal information as I've mentioned from 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 Tom's uh, channel, Gonna Talk TV, of course, and make sure you go and give that a look as well. And of course, Football London as well, where Tom does a lot of good stuff there as well. So from myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and Tom Canton, we'll see you all very soon. Mm-hmm.